Welcome to the Rolling Reel with Renard, the podcast where we dive deep into personal growth, well-being, and the stories of remarkable individuals as well as businesses that are changing our lives. I'm your host, Renard Brown, and today we have a remarkable guest with us, Bill Wilder, the driving force behind the Wilder Wellness Center, a place that is redefining personal growth. Now, Bill's mission revolves around midlife identity realignment. It's a guide to discovering balance and meaning in your life, even amidst the responsibilities and limitations. Now, in this episode, we're going to explore Bill's innovative personal growth assessment, its unique approach, and the audiences that it serves. Outside of that, there are going to be tons of tips, suggestions, recommendations that you guys can actually put into practice right now. So, Bill, welcome to the Rolling Reel with Renard podcast. We're thrilled to have you as a guest today. Thanks, Renard. Awesome, man. So, Bill, first and foremost, what actually inspired you to start the Wilder Wellness Center and embark on the mission of midlife identity realignment? You know, ever since I've been young, I've been an explorer. I've always been seeking to figure out the, the reason for life. Like, what are, what are we here for? I've always been a, in kind of a mystic in my in my core. And and so, since I've been young, I've been doing that. And I remember when I was in high school, just to give you a little backstory that kind of undergirds a lot of the, the question of what I do professionally is, I pretty much lived in the woods a lot of times with my friends. And we would explore and create. And, and when I was in high school, I actually wanted to be a filmmaker. And there was this part of me that, that wanted to tell stories. I wanted to be a part of a story. And then I kind of lost that a little bit. You know, when I was at the end of high school, I became a Christian. And then I started to focus in on more external things like being good, fitting in, finding a career, all those kinds of things. So there's kind of this backstory of like when I was younger, I was more of an explorer, more internally focused with what I wanted, my own rhythm. And then I hit late, late teens and I kind of became more externalized, trying okay. to be good, pl play by the rules. I did a lot of grad school work. I did five years of, of seminary training, studying philosophy, theology, and psychology. And then in, in my 30s, I pretty much like, I felt like continued on that track that started when I was 18. Okay. And then when I hit 40, I was like, you know, I need to begin to return more to who I really am. Why did you come to that conclusion or how did you come to that conclusion that you needed to kind of go back you know it's one of those things where you, you hit that hit that age 40 gap and you're like kind of feel an emptiness you feel kind of something's not quite aligned and and I I've always been a searcher but I was I was using the, the wrong parts of my brain using the wrong skills and the wrong trainings to try to get there and so what I had to do was really just go back to the beginning of myself and what really prompted the starting Water Wellness Center was I began to do cold exposure. And what's cold exposure? Getting in cold water. And I found that I started to, to, to get in cold water because I was like, I was just kind of intuitively drawn to it. So and you mean to tell me you were drawn to jumping in freezing cold water? Yeah, I can't describe it. I, I heard about it and I was <laughs> like, you know, I just need to do this. It was some kind of intuitive knowing. I started doing it and it was cool because it, it awoke something in me. It, it brought something out. It allowed me, I had been doing personal therapy for like 20 years, coaching. I was, I was a searcher, man, I was searching for answers. And then I, and, but, but I kept running into the same problem. I kept getting locked in my head. Kept, what do you mean locked in your head? I kept getting stuck with like what I knew I should do, what I wanted to do, the way mm -hmm. I wanted to think, but I couldn't actually do it. I couldn't take the leap of faith into the unknown. I couldn't take the leap of faith to trust myself like I was when I was younger. Okay. So the cold taught me that I'm, I actually own my body, that I can actually go within myself. And it, it brought me back to that internalized place where I could root within myself. And then from that place, there's really unlimited adventure. There's, there's unlimited opportunities once you come home to yourself. So when you talk about the cold exposure, can you talk about one of the most epic cold exposure stories or situations that you've embarked on? Yeah, there was one moment when I was, uh, I went to Poland to, to do some work with Wim Hof. I, I heard about him. He was the first one that exposed me to the idea of cold water. 
So I went on this, this adventure over there and I remember I was over there with, with one purpose to like unlock this primitive intuitive part of me that I had discovered was, was really the, the, the thing that was moving the needle in, 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 my, in my therapy work, in my personal growth. I mean, and I had done extensive other types of therapies. So I'm arousing Poland. When you say that you've done other types, are you talking about you were the, the therapist leading it or you were the person who was on the receiving end? I was both. I was, I was a, I've been a therapist for 17 years doing mental health work in a variety of mental health contexts. And, uh, but I was also getting therapy because I knew there was something missing. Right. Okay. I was like, I, I got to figure this thing out. What, what's going on? Why am I, why do I keep breaching my own boundaries? Why do I each, why do I keep on betraying myself in these various situations relationally with, with, with people, my, this is myself. I, I knew there was something in me that was longing to come forth. And so when I was in Poland, there was this moment where, and again, the, the, and there it was freezing. It was in the winter, so it was really cold and the water, the streams there were freezing water, but there was this moment where I was like, you know, and I kind of tapped into this, this part of myself that I call it that instinctual self, that non-thinking primitive yes. part of ourself. And I found it and I, and I, and I was like, I was so focused on going toward the cold water that I realized that when I got in there, it didn't even hurt. And I was like, wow, that's really, that's a really different part of the psyche. Cause again, most of my approaches to personal growth have been trying to figure out some problem in the past, some, some cognitive solution, some story of, oh, if I can, if I can resolve this trauma or that, then I'll be set free. But this was totally different. This was more ancestral. This is more instinctual. And I realized, I was like, wait a second, if I can go into this cold water and it makes no difference and like where I, I can't wait to do it, I can't wait to run into it. And then when I get in there, I'm like, it take, takes me to a different place. There's, there's something here worth exploring. That was the initial stimulus that caused me to say, I've got to leave the hospital. I must leave my, my comfortable profession as a mental health therapist. And that's what sparked the desire to do something wild. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to follow my instincts. I'm going to follow my vision. I want to be in a place where I can have cold water, hot water, a sauna. I want to do breathing. I want to help people to tap into this place. So what did you do? I took out a lease in Mooresville a bit of a, from a big space. I bought a tub. What kind of tub? A big old hot tub that has a chiller on it. And I, and I also got a hot tub as well, a refrigerator. I, I, I pretty much invest everything I have in, into this dream because I was like, I believe in it so much. I also had these really, these really cool assessment charts I've been working on for many years that I felt like really summarized, that kind of gave people the tools to, to know how to you know, balance the psyche. I, I've, I've grown weary of traditional therapy. I've done it for so long. I'm, I'm, I've done it. I'm, I'm good at it. I make a living at it, but I've grown weary of it. So I was trying to find a better way to kind of help people bridge a gap where they don't have to go into long historical epilogues of their story to, to find freedom. So I brought, is, that, is that something that's typical in most therapy sessions where you revisit the past, hang out there for quite some time, and then hopefully you'll have a breakthrough and a discovery and voila, you're fixed? Yeah, I would say that, that a lot of traditional therapy revolves around the problem being in the past, problem being in some kind of story, some kind of trauma. And I don't want to minimize trauma or the past. I just think that there's a diminishing ROI on that approach if you keep doing it over and over and over again. And then I also tried out coaching methods, which were more future oriented, more, more, Hey, pump yourself up, go toward it. But all those were missing this instinctual link. And so I believed it so much. I was like, I'm willing to risk my life for it. So I was like, I'm going to do this. And it was funny. I, I must've been in touch with something bigger than myself because I, I literally, it all lined up like perfectly. And if, if one piece had been thrown off, the whole thing would have been thrown off. Cause I, I, I signed the lease February before COVID. I bought the tubs into February before COVID. And if I'd, if I'd hesitated one bit on any of that stuff, the, those tubs would have, would have been backordered for, I think, a year. And, wow. I, and it would have compromised the business. And so, yeah, so I started it. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was just running into the dark. And I, I was using that, that instinctual part of me that I, I discovered through the cold. Because I felt like I, I had a lot of mental skills. I had a lot of work, work ethic. I had a lot of emotional capacity, but I didn't have that instinctual part. That was what led me to start Wilder Wellness Center. Fascinating, man. Fascinating. I remember visiting you on your journey as you were getting the space, 
planning everything out, the layouts. What are some of the things, like some of the you know features or functionality that someone can expect if they were to go into Wilder Wellness? Yeah, what I do is I, I'm a specialist mental health therapist. Okay. So I help people to, I typically work with people who have either a tried traditional therapy and have kind of run the loop with it. And they're kind of like wanting something a little more directive, more action oriented, or people who, who don't want to do traditional therapy, who want something completely different. So what I do is very instinctual. It's very intuitive. I, I simply react authentically to people I'm with. So if you're looking for more of it, so, so a lot of people don't want to come see me if they're looking for more of a soft passive, I'm going to tell your story approach, because that's really not what I do. And there's plenty of people who do that well. I'm more there to inspire. I'm a teacher. I'm an advisor. I actually teach people how to think methodically for how to structure and sequence their life. I I believe the biggest gap in in transformation is lack of sequencing, because people have limited capacity to change. So if people are going to change, they, they need a really strategic, sequential roadmap for how to make small shifts for exponential rewards. Okay. And that's what I do. And then I use these, these boards that, you know, storyboards that help you figure out where are you in the story of your life. And then I use the stimulus of cold and hot water as a way to activate these dormant capacities that will, that will inspire you. Cause I think the biggest thing people need to learn how to do is to find the courage to go toward the thing they fear. And we can't do that from the mind. We can't do it from the emotions in terms of our, our feeling self. And we, we can't do it from a moral place. Like, well, I should do it. No, it's like you got to, it, it's got to be a must from this place that's, that's nonverbal. What do you think holds people back from actually moving forward? You mentioned before, like limiting beliefs. Is there anything that would, from your standpoint, from the people that you've spoken to in the past, what are some common themes that you're seeing of why people don't move forward or get themselves out? Of a rut. Yeah, you know, my specialty is 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 instinctual is unlocking instinctual intelligence, which no one really talks about. It's it's not it's something I'm gonna introduce to the field as a as a as a new way forward for mental health care. I think that with the people I see, if if people are disconnected from that ancestral part of them, that that motherfucker within them that isn't afraid, mm-hmm. then it's really hard to make changes because life is busy. There are many distractions and there's a lot of things at stake, especially when you enter into 30 to 55, which is kind of my, my age bracket of the people I work with. I work with people who, who have built a, built a really good first life. They've, they've, they've built a family, they built a career, they built a whole life, a whole ego system based on that. But they get to that middle passage and they're like, gum, there's a piece that's not actualized. There's a piece that's not fulfilled. Right. And, and I want that. And so the question is, is, well, Bill, how do they find the courage and the, and, the, and the guidance to actually make that shift without blowing up the ship? So we don't want to destroy your life. We don't want to burn down the whole house of what you built. But there are there are certain things you have to do to overcome that 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 gap. And unfortunately, when when, when people go look for help. I mean, the, here are the basic options you got. You can go online and you can find a therapist. Right. The problem with that is there's like a thousand different theories and a thousand different approaches, and you don't know what you're going to get. Most therapists are trained in more of a talking, listening approach, which is great for some people. Right. Or they're or they're focused on a past focus, or just on a cognitive focus, like a shift some of the thoughts. The problem with that is is that doesn't tap into the primitive brain. It taps into the front part of the brain, and it also doesn't really tap into that intuitive creativity as well. So why is that stuff important? Well, if you don't have intuitive creativity, you don't have the horsepower to actually get out of your comfort zone and, and leave the comfort of your nest. If you don't leave the comfort of your nest, you can't go on the hero's journey. If you don't go on the hero's journey, you'll, you'll probably never make that midlife transition. So what's, and just to push it out even more than that, then what? They don't make the midlife transition. Paint a picture of what their life looks like. Well, you know, there are certain developmental sequences you must go through as a human to be actualized, to be happy. The biggest thing is you get to the end of life, you have a lot of regret, a lot of despair. And you look back over your life and you go, what did I do? I missed out on the opportunity. I think that is hell. If there is a hell, it would be to get to the end of your life and there's nothing you can do about it. It's too late. So I want to give people the skills and the wisdom, the vision and the inspiration before they reach that point where it's too late to say, you know what? 
I can make some changes, but to help them to know how to do it in a way that's not overwhelming, that where they can actually make small sequential behavioral steps and be empowered with the best mental health software. And I mean, in your mind, the best map that we have yet, which is what I have to help people to know which parts of their psyche they need to over that they need to strengthen and which ones that they need to maybe not feed as much or do as much because people are fundamentally imbalanced and it's impossible not to be balanced. Anybody who says they're not balanced in midlife is unaware or they're just lying. Everybody when they get to 30, 55 has got some major imbalances because there's just not enough time to, to, to fulfill all the, all the capacities of our human nature. There's right. always going to be something that's in the shadows. So, People come see me when they're like, hey, I want to know what that is. Then we work on how to do it. And it really, it's really about how do you fulfill the basic four human needs we have. Okay. And what are the four basic human needs? The need for freedom and adventure. The need for love, intimacy. The need for significance and meaning. And the need for stability and certainty. We need all four of those suckers. But the problem is, is if you look at your time, time, if you do a time audit on your time, fulfilling all four of those at full capacity in, the, in your 30s and 40s is impossible. So, so what do you suggest? We have to do an assessment to see, okay, where are you? See, and also because those are the four human needs, most people have two of those that they're overdoing and two that they're underdoing. So what I do is I help people find, okay, where are you overdoing it? Are you overdoing the, the significance camp? Are you overdoing the freedom camp? Are you overdoing the love or the stability? Most people I see are overdoing the, the stability certainty. And what is that? It's just where their focus is on stabilizing their family's lives, their lives, providing, working a job, taking care of life, administrative stuff. They've committed to their path of being, having, having a family, having a job, providing for their retirement. And in that process, they've kind of sold their soul in, the, in, in attempts to get security. They've also, also, a lot of people I work with have really focused a lot on relationships and on, and on their family and their kids. But there's this, so, but then there are other people I work with who have put a lot of energy into their, their work and significance, but they haven't as much into their emotional capacity. So they're, they're, okay. at, they're at home, but they're not really at home. They don't know how to engage. They don't know how to be, be present. So we got to find where your weak capacity is, help you face the fear to get there, create a sequential plan to get there, but it'll mean leaving your comfort zone. So how do we leave our comfort zone? We have to find that instinctual part of us that, that isn't affected by fear, that so, must run into the dark. So how do you do it? Well, we have to first become aware of the problem. We have okay. to become aware of what has held back that part of you. And so in my therapy, what I do during usually my second session is we do a very brief overview of your life story to find those, those kind of main, main points that really influenced you. We do it quickly. We do a scan over it. And so if people have done traditional therapy, they'll do this for six months to a year. I do this in one or two sessions. We, we find those, those key pivotal moments where maybe a message was given. Like for me, when I was young, I had this message of like, I am, if I don't do well, I'm a failure, then I'm worthless. And that, that message for me had had a great impact upon what I chose to do in my 20s and 30s. So that, that fear of failure caused me to become very externalized, which then caused me to lose my center and lose my power and then to get out of harmony with my true self. I'm with you. And so we got to figure out what that is. Then once, you, once we figure out what that is, then it's about let's, let's take a look at it, look it in the eye begin to move toward it, notice the, the, the things that keep us from doing it. And when you say things that keep us from doing it, can you give me an example? It's usually shame, fear, messages. We, we, we go on a hunt for the, for the life scripts that, that, have, that have held down your, your, your true self, your creative, intuitive, Understood. childlike wonder self, the part that's, that, that's willing to dream again, want again, love again. We got we to take the shame out. And then we have to, and so then I use the cold water as a way to, hey, let's, let's go toward that fear. Right. And, let's, let's, and so when people go into the cold water, what I love, it's like, a, it's like an initiation. You go in that cold water, you stand there, the water hits your legs. You got a, you got a choice, bro. You can either A, you can either focus on the pain, get into your head and you'll jump out. 
very quickly because the pain, yes. or you can accept it. You can trust yourself. You trust your body knows what to do, continue to move forth. And then as you do that, you begin to tap in to those, those more instinctual regions because the blood in your, because the cold water draws, draws the blood more to the back of the brain. And so then, and if you've ever done cold water exposure, like you, you really have, your thinking shifts, you, you get shocked. And so, and that, mm -hmm. that simulates what you got to do in the real world, which you, you got to find the will to move toward your fear and you can't overthink things. I feel like a lot of what I do with people is to help them to stop think so, thinking so much. Like the, the, our thinking brain is a great assistant, but our culture's made it the, the leader. And I think that that's a big problem. I think that we need to be more in touch with the unconscious, intuitive place within us and then let the thinking come alongside of it. And the cold right. water forces you out of your head. And then it becomes a teacher of, hey, like, and it becomes like a, and what's interesting when people go in, I can tell like how they respond to stress in the world because their, their body will begin to tell the story. They'll begin to lower their head. They'll start to, their, their eyes will flutter. They'll, they'll, they'll start to tense up and it's like, hey, chin up, breathe, focus on your breath, focus, trust yourself. Your body knows what to do. And then they, they have that, that, that one experience there. Then when they're in the real world with a real stressor, they look it in the eye and they actually invite it. And it's crazy because that instinctual self invites death. It, it, it invites, it invites it. It doesn't think in, in, in a way where you're, it doesn't think in the way that most people think it's, it's a warrior. It's like, I am willing to die for myself. And a lot of what I'm teaching people to do is when they tap into that instinctual self, we're really tapping into that part of us. That's like, you know what? Everything I do, I do for me. And this is the, the foundational work that I do. Now people will say, well, Bill, that's kind of selfish. Everything I do is I do for others, for my kids, for my family, for my wife. I'm like, no, 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 no. If you do everything for a boss, you're going to, you're going to weaken yourself. It's got to be everything you do, you do for yourself. Everything, every time you sacrifice, you do it because you choose to do it because you want to sacrifice because you love them because your kids are an extension of you. You do it for you. And that's that instinctual part. That's the, the I call it the explorer, that wild man in you, that, that, that internalized, independent warrior who is self-determined. Everything you do, you do because you choose to do it. So when you go out in the world and you, you're from that place, nothing can take you down. You're unstoppable. Right. So if like somebody doesn't give you an attaboy, somebody rejects you, it doesn't matter because you're doing it for you. Let's, let's say you bust your ass all day, clean the house, for the missus wanting to get a little bit of affirmation and she doesn't say it, you're like, I don't care, I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it because I fucking choose to do it, man. And that's that warrior. That's missing from all psychological therapies. Most psychological therapists will tell a story of, well, this happened to you, let's, let's go on a goose hunt to find that, that traumatic incident that happened, uh, let's, 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 let's belabor on it, let's help you release the burden, release the inner child. Listen, that's fine, I just don't do that shit. I don't want to do it. I don't want to fucking do it. I want to help you find the guy who's talking right now, because that's the guy that's going to help you survive in the real world to stand up, to realize I don't need nobody. I got this shit. I'm strong. Yeah. I breathe. I relax. I trust. And I leave from that place. Now, ironically, when people tap into that mofo, they're actually a lot more loving, a lot less agenda, a lot more moral. Which is ironic, but it's fucking true. Yes. Because when you have an agenda, you're needy. There's a need. And isn't it true that all spiritual systems essentially are teaching you to transcend need, to transcend dependency? So this this place I'm talking about is it's 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 ancient. It's like I love it. I love it so much. It saved me. It saved me. I'm not looking for something external to save me. I save me. That's the message. And when we tap into that, it allows us to actually save others because now we, we're in touch with that Prometheus fire, that, 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 that ignition of fire in our belly to go toward the things that, that we want to do for ourselves, And that's what creates presence. So a lot of the work I work with, a lot of people struggle with being present, being engaged, fully being truthful in the moment. And it's because they're in their head. And unfortunately, most self-help therapy coaching approaches keep people in their head. 
So is that for financial gains or what do you think the motivation is for, for that? Because it seems like you talk to people and you're a therapist and you, you'll confirm this or deny it, but it seems like people who do your traditional therapy stay in therapy for years and you don't see the results that you would expect them to see if they were doing a more head, you know, head on in your face therapy session where you get to the root cause earlier you said it takes people you know six to 12 months or maybe up to two years to have a certain discovery and you can do it in like one two sessions mm -hmm. or two days so yeah. it seems like your approach is a little bit more my approach yeah I mean, my approach is quite different it's based on different assumptions of humanity yeah you know, i'm a i'm a i'm a philosopher i study theology i'm I study history. I let history tell me who people are. Uh, modern day psychology and coaching are based on more of a modern assumption of humanity that people are reason and feelings. So I believe people, homo sapiensism have been around 200,000 years. Modern day psychological approaches have been around 120 years. Let's just do some math on that. So that means that, that, means that for 99.9% for .9 of human history, humans adapted and did quite well without any kind of laying down on the couch and talking about your feelings. Now, they were in smaller tribes, they were, they were in little communities, exact, but they, they were also just probably more, more traumatized in a lot of ways than, than a lot of people are today. So my approach is to let history tell us who people are, which, so people, if you look over history, people for 90% of human history have been in touch with their instincts, living on the land, hunting, gathering, connected to their bodies in the moment to survive. They're instinctually present like wild animals. Right. When agriculture came in 10,000 years ago, we moved from, from hunting gathering to agriculture. Now we have the birth of civilizations. Now we have more of a moral intelligence. Hey, you know, that's where religions were introduced. You should do this. So more of a top-down approach. Then we had about 400 years ago, we had the birth of science, which doubled the lifespan. Then, 100, then about 120 years with the birth of uh, postmodernism and, uh, and psychology, which is much more em emotional intelligence. So we need all those. I just think that based on history and also the way the brain's formed, the brain, most of the brain is primitive. It's only the front part that's, that's, that's more conscious. So if we look at history and the way the brain formed, that would indicate we're, we're focusing on the wrong thing in modern day psychology. You know, for me, there's, whenever I, I look at, whenever I look at what people in my field are talking about, I'm thoroughly bored, thoroughly uninspired. It could just be because I've been there, done that. And I'm not trying to diminish the great work therapists do. I just think that it has a diminishing ROI after a period of time. But I think that it's, it's just like modern day medicine. It's, it's a one trick pony and they got one thing to do, which is to listen, to give advice. And a lot of times people turn their therapists into priests, into friends where they go and they kind of download because they have no one to listen to, which is a, is a, is a good function. I mean, people to be listened to, but I just don't want to do it. I want to inspire people to get the tools to become actualized themselves right to do that shit yes absolutely so no i appreciate the uh, the response so looking at your assessments could you just provide an overview of those the four domains that your assessment measures and how individuals can kind of more or less pivot within these domains to realign <clears throat> their lives yes so my my assessment structure is based on there are these four parts of our psyche, four, I'll call them four archetypes. These are the four kind of pieces of our psyche. If people have all four of these in full harmony, you'll be an idealized human being. You'll have everything. Okay. You'll be able to handle anything. So the first one is I call the explorer. This is that instinctual freedom-based self, the wild man, the wild woman inside of you that has no fear to go toward things. And that's, that represents most of our human history. The second is the stabilizer. This represents the agrarian culture. This is the part of you that wants stabilization, wants security, doesn't want to fail, wants to do a good job. The set third is the achiever. That's the part of us that, that thinks for oneself, makes decisions, and really takes ownership of that. And then the, the fourth is the connector. This is the part of us that wants emotional connection, emotional intelligence, those sorts of things. So okay. those are the four things. Now, most people have two that are dominant and two that are, that are less dominant. So the way I measure it, I measure across four domains. And the first domain is, 
is the question of how do you make decisions? So I do an assessment of where do you look for your decision-making premise? So you either look in internally or externally. And this is the most important piece of everything I do. This, I think, is the thing that we should be focusing in on, fixating on, when helping people grow. So when you're deciding what you think and feel, do you start with what's external in the world? Or do you start with what you think and feel because you think and feel it? We are trained and most people will start externally. Right. They'll start, well, well, my partner's mad at me, so now I'm, I'm really upset. Or I will do whatever they want to kind of appease. And that process of, of starting externally, according to research, it's called, in, science, in psychological terms, it's called the locus of control. Have you heard of that before? Yes. So if you have an internal locus of control, it means that you have a sense of control over your destiny. And the cool research says that people who have a high internal locus of control are more resilient to mental illness. They are more resilient to trauma. They are more capable of, of getting over stuff that happens to them. They're more like Teflon. Things pop off them quicker. But when you're more externally located in your, in your sense of control, where your, your destiny is determined by external forces, you're more of a sponge where you absorb in the traumas. You absorb in trauma, those things. So the first thing I do is I help people identify where they are in that. Now, most people that come see me are more external. And again, that isn't abnormal. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Like we are communal animals. But the problem with it is we become so externalized, it then creates... It creates then the, the second domain of what I measure, which is your motivation. So the first one was inner outer for decision making. Second is motivation. So are you motivated to, when, when there's a conflict, are you, more, are you more motivated to express yourself or to self-sacrifice yourself? Most people, if they're more externally located, are going to go to the self-sacrifice button. Let me just sacrifice myself to appease the external gods, the, the external situation. Can you give an example? Well, if, for example, you're, you're, you base your day on how your, your partner's doing. If your partner's upset with you, you're upset. If your partner is, is mad at you, you'll, you'll go, okay, yeah, and, and you'll kind of, you'll, you'll do whatever it takes to, to, to appease them, to, to make them less mad at you. So then you're more prone to sacrifice maybe your, your true voice, your, your truth to, to, to appease that person. So, and that creates all types of issues, it creates codependency and those things. Whereas if you're more internally located, your partner can be mad at you and go, okay, I can see you're mad at me. I hear you, I see you, and, th and this is what I feel. Yeah, I don't like you're mad at me, but I have this opinion. I see it this way. You're able to individualize more. And that's, that, that's significant. When you're not able to individualize, you're prone to then fall into a place where now you're, you're going to become less human. You're, going to be, you're, you're not going to be able to be an individual. You're not going to be able to be that, that explorer or really, really, or even be present. Because without that explorer part, you can't fully give fully from your heart because there is no you. So what kind of problem does that create in a relationship? It creates all types of issues. It creates codependency. It creates conflict it creates lying it creates people who are passive aggressive where people pull back it creates people who just numb out in addictions it creates anger outbursts it creates control freaks i mean it every single issue you could ever see with human with, with relationships can be drawn back to internal locus control and to a lack of self-expression when people don't express themselves they, they they grow resentful and then they blow up they and the, the other thing is they become very anxious People who are externally located should be anxious. You should be anxious. If, if you are anxious, it's because you're externally located because you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not focusing on what you can control. You're looking externally to something that, to appease you. And so with anxiety, when I'm dealing with anxiety, I'm not trying to coax the, the symptoms, I'm trying to get people to the root, which is go back to yourself, man. Right. But to do that, you, you have to find that warrior in you that, 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 that doesn't need the person's approval. So... Okay, so decision-making, motivation. Third is values, is we have to make sure your, your value, that you actually have access to all four of those human needs. So when people are more externally located, their value of individual freedom and their value of, of the ability to really connect and to think for oneself are going to be compromised, which, is, which leads to massive issues in, in the midlife transition. 
Like what? Well, midlife crisis, people wake up one day and they have an affair. People wake up and they're, they're depressed. They, they become stagnant. They become depressed, suicidal. It's, it's a massive issue because you, you, can, you can achieve all the things in the world. You get to middle life, but you don't have a self. It becomes very sad. And now you have all this responsibility to tell. You got kids, you got a wife, you got a house, you got a dog. And so it's like, so people then get desperate and people are like, oh crap, what do I do? And then that's, I think, where addictions come in. Like people use all types of addictions to coax the pain. And so really the, the heart of addictions is, is, is an external locus control. So we have to help people extend their values to the areas. And that's, that's where I come in to say, hey, listen, would you, what would you like more of? They're like, I want freedom to be myself, relax, and to have a, have a purpose, have a meaning. All right. Well, what are you afraid of? Well, I can't do that because I'm blah, blah. like, okay, well, that's what we have to begin to move toward. But we must move toward it methodically. We can't move toward it impulsively. We got to move toward it with a sense of, of skill where you're not going to throw your whole, not going to burn the whole house you built to the right. ground. And then finally, the, the, the fourth domain is how do you solve problems? After you get your values aligned, the question of how do you solve problems? And most problems need to be solved in the present moment through creativity. But when you're externally located, you will only have access to your frontal cortex, which means you'll think the hell out of something and you'll think it in circular, which is extremely hopeless because you, you just so you're always on. I think that's where a lot of self-help gurus find their victims is people who are more externally located. They're looking for a guru. They're looking for someone to tell them what to do. That's not what I do. I'm like, listen, you need to find you need to help. You need to listen to find that savior inside yourself not some personality who's selling you and taking your money based on this promise that, that they can somehow give you something. And that's unfortunately most self-help, most coaching, most therapy is pushing people toward the exterior. And I'm not, I'm not saying all people like that are charlatans. I don't think that at all. I'm saying like there are some who, 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 who manipulate the system, but what we should be doing is having people go to that more interior place because that's the savior you're looking for, not a book or a therapy model or a coaching program or a weekend intensive. It's, it's within you. That's what, that's what all mystical traditions have said since the beginning of time. We just need to find it in a creative way, in right. a non-religious way. So now I appreciate the, uh, the response as it relates to tying those four models back to everyday life. So you were talking about the locus of control. And some people are going to be outward thinking, whereas other people are going to be more inward. So for the people, since we're talking a large majority of folks who are going to be more outward thinking to try to please others, almost like a, what do you call it? The Labrador or the, mm -hmm. uh, the golden retriever. Yeah. Like I want to please, I want to please you. What would be a suggestion or a recommendation, or maybe even a tip that can help people at least start to turn the corner. So they're not so dependent on that initial, that initial thought to just, all right, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to, I'm going to be more of a servant. I'm going to take it on the chin. Just more or less, how do they break free to become more of an individual if they have that please let me mm -hmm. please you mentality yes if if someone has that kind of mentality then they need to realize that there are certain type there are certain helping models certain schools of thinking that will help you or hurt you unfortunately a lot of people think that maybe i just need to do more therapy maybe i'm not doing the therapy right maybe i need to do more reading more books and so a lot of times to, to find what I'm talking about, you can't find it through thinking. You can't find it through reading. You can't find it through listening to someone talk. It's this place that's, that's largely behavioral. It's largely, you need to get out of your head more. So you need, to, you need to begin to question and think through, okay, what do I want for its own sake? Like, I think one question to ask is for whom are you doing everything in your life? Like that is a really good question. For whom are you doing it? Are you doing it for God? Are you doing it for, for your, your partner, do it for your kids? And we gotta get you to where you, everything you do, you do because you're choosing to do it. Right. And that's the focus is on your, you getting clear on what you want for its own sake for you. And so if you do therapy, that will be something good to explore for like with a therapist, like for why, like what are my motives for doing it? And usually when, when people are depressed and anxious, it always goes back to they're doing it for someone else. No kidding. Is that what you're also finding in your practice? Yes. Yes. 
I find that I get more results on anxiety when I have people focused on doing everything for themselves. Interesting. So that's a great recommendation. Start focusing truly on yourself. So how does someone start focusing on themselves if they have been givers to everyone else for so long? Well, you know, you, you have to begin the process of becoming aware of it. You okay. have to become aware of some of the messages that maybe have oppressed you. And, you know, a lot of people have lived live unexamined lives where they don't question the reasons why they do give. And and so that that's something else to explore in therapy. Maybe you're giving from a sense of obligation, obligatory love, a, a sense of shame or guilt. And so if that's the case, then you need to begin to work through that and go, okay, hey, if, I, if I'm not giving for that, then, then for why am I giving? And then having people begin the process of really asking the question, what do I want for because I want it? And if they can't answer that, that's a problem. If they, they went and saw me I'd be, and they were in that camp of the over giving category, I would not focus on anything until we, we get to the root of that. And usually it's going to be some kind of family message in the past. So I'm not saying we shouldn't go back and find those experiences that have formed that belief. And it also comes down to a lot of people's indoctrination with religion. There are a lot of people who aren't religious, but they are religious. And what I mean is, is they think a lot like a fundamentalist would regarding the, regarding trusting themselves. Like, you know, fundamentalist religion teaches that you can't trust yourself. It teaches that you're sinful. You need something external to save you. So I want to work with those beliefs to get people to say, you know, actually, I, I, no thank you for the saving. I can save myself. And, and usually when, when people begin to, to dismantle that fear, which is really shame-based, I mean, shame is the lowest frequency feeling. I mean, if, if, if you are shameful and worthy of punishment, worthy of torture, that is a, that is a big psychological impediment that, that needs to be killed off very quickly. So that's a lot of what I do to help people to become free people who are not held hostage by fear or by oppression because you know what that was my story it took me two years to overcome my fear of thinking for myself for my fear of i mean actually many more than that but it took two years to overcome my fear of going to hell i had to study i had to study this stuff extensively but i was essentially on this path of trying to become more honest with the divine but it kept pulling me in a way that was different from where i was taught in my 20s and so I had, it was a real kind of Christ moment of crisis of, well, do I, do I live fully here in this earth or do I, or do I just maybe live half-life and hope for one day I'll be free in heaven? And I hear a lot of people who are religious that actually impedes them from living fully because in the back of their mind, they're like, well, you know, I could live a shitty life here, but at least I get to go to heaven. And that actually keeps people from actually finding their voice because you know, this part I'm talking about is willing to rebel against any kind of oppression, any kind of comfort, anything that, that, that betrays what and who you are. Right. So, so when you look at this, when you talk about, I can see major dilemma happening right now. We have two camps. We have a camp that focuses on the external and they look for something external to basically make them whole. And then your philosophy, your belief is look within. So how do you address someone who may have faith in Jesus Christ? And they're saying, I need to look to Jesus Christ to fill my cup, mm -hmm. Bill, and not look to myself. So that, and let me just preface this by saying, Bill has definitely spent some time around the study of theology. Real quick, what's your background as it relates to theology? Yeah, I, I spent five years at Reformed Theological Seminary, which is a study of divinity, learned study philosophy, and I also studied marriage and family therapy in my twenties. And, uh, and so, yeah, so I have I was, I was very, very fixated on that, that exact point in my 20s. It wasn't until I was 30 I began to move into a more of a mystical path. You know, that, that's a really good question. I think that, you know, the Jesus, Jesus is a subjective concept. So our concepts of, of Jesus and God are, are, are always evolving and changing. And so I remember when I was in seminary, I, I came across this, this thought during my, uh, my philosophy class of there is no objective truth. Everything is subjective. And I remember my, my conservative philosophy professor said, Bill, 
Every interpretation is subjective. And so it was like, oh my gosh, because I was like, oh, I thought everything was objective. I thought everything was a clear, clear cut, like, no. you know, this or that. And it was like, no. And so that then led me to this, this theorem that, you know, you know, we should do a fruits test on, on all of our theology to make sure that it is true. So in other words, if a tree does not bear good fruit, it's not true. It's not real. So we must let reality and fruit based on, does it create the fruit of the spirit? Does it create more Christ likeness? If it does not, there's a good chance that, that your interpretation of that concept is, needs a little bit of revisioning. So I do think it's possible to hold on to the, the story of, of Christianity and go internal. There are lots of Lots of Christians to do that. Lots of different traditions. You might need to find a different camp within the tradition to do that. It might veer outside of the, the realms of orthodoxy in terms of strict orthodoxy. Or, and so, but at the same time, it's like, you know, this is a, it's a very personal experience. And I think that if, if having a personal relationship with God is the most important thing, then would that not assume an honest interchange where we can at least show up as ourselves? And, and share our experience and then kind of have a little bit of a wrestling match with the divine. And so right. I would just encourage people to wrestle with it. You don't have to become a non-Christian. You can hold on to it. There are, there are lots of writers who, who, who walk that line, like a Rob Bell or John, John Shelby Spong. There are, there are different writers who walk that line. You might need to go to find those writers who can help you hold on to your faith and go internal. Okay. No, I appreciate you saying that right there because I know from appearances, it seems like it would be easy for most people to conclude that we should forget about Jesus, forget about God, look to yourself, everything that you need is within you. But I understand what you're saying from a philosophical standpoint as well, which brings me to an interesting topic. We're diverting a little bit. Are you familiar with Stoicism? I am. So how much of a Stoic mindset do you believe is required or necessary in order for people to make a transformation? Yes, I think that stoicism represents, I'd say, a piece of the what I would call the the achiever and the explorer, which is that kind of cognitive instinctualness, that kind of instinctual rationalism, right. where you're able to be, you're able to, to objectively step back and not allow your feelings to, to be the guide. I do think it's a big piece of it. I think that, you know, because feelings have a more impactful view that, I mean, our feeling brain drives our thinking brain. And so when, when people are able to step outside of their feeling brain to kind of get some, it, kind of, it can kind of give some direction to the feelings. Right. I, I noticed that people are very feeling based and they're very quick to default to how they feel mm -hmm. instead of looking at something as a way to use it as an opportunity to get better. So for example, if someone loses a job, they'll start internalizing it. I, you know, I'm worthless, I'm nothing, I'm nothing without my title and mm -hmm. people get depressed and eventually go down a downward spiral. Whereas other people would say that it was the best thing that has happened to me. And I mm -hmm. finally have the opportunity to do all these other things that I've been dying to do. Mm -hmm. So one is a half empty glass and the other person's looking at things half full. Now, from the people that you have interacted with as far as clients, to me, the, the request is going to be one of two things. Either A, we get caught up in our feelings and we just talk and talk and talk. Mm -hmm. you know, and seek mm -hmm. outside validation. I need, mm -hmm. you know, this is my problem. What was me? I get a thousand Facebook likes. I'm here for you if you need mm -hmm. me kind mm -hmm. of deal. Or what are the top three things that you need to do in order to make the situation better? So one has an approach of, I need you to come save me. I need praise. I need these things. And then the other person is saying, look, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. And I'm going to turn the situation into something epic, something that's going to reinvent my life, mm -hmm. to make my life better than what it is. You find to be the ones that are able to get along with their life after a traumatic event or turmoil a little bit faster, or let, just forget a little bit faster. Yeah. You can move on faster. Yeah. I mean, it's the people that are able to, the people who have less external need, where there isn't, they're not as dependent upon external environment cues to to be resilient and so and again that that doesn't mean that you're detached or that you're unengaged I, I would I would actually say that you know the more internalized you are the more engaged you are yes and one, one of the things that I'm studying to kind of help me learn more about this ability to engage is 
is, is drama, is, is a method acting drama school. So like really good actors are trained to, to get out of their thinking and just respond truthfully in the moment. Like they're just there, they're so focused externally that they're just, they're just re reacting. But you can't do that. You can't do that till you, you know who you are inside. Right. And so, and so that's kind of the, that, that's kind of the key I think is, is first internally, internally locate, then you're able to really externally locate by just responding. Cause there's no, you, you don't have to have the other person to validate or give you something. Those people are going to be far more resilient to overcome anything than people who are more, you know, trying to think about what people want or trying to overthink the problem or people who are just trying to do good to get good. They're going to be much more fragile to be able to handle life being thrown at them. And then I believe that one of the reasons why mental illness has gotten so rampant over the last, you know, 50, 60 years is because we've moved as a culture more to the external because we've gotten more comfortable. And I think technology certainly impacted that. And I think that as we've gotten away from being more grounded in our communities, which I love that yours is located here in this community, that we've that we've we've gotten away from from that 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 self trust, that 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 self guidance. Yeah, it seems like people need almost a a leader in their lives in order to govern what they should and shouldn't do. And as a result, when that leader or whomever mm -hmm. fails them, right, that's when it's a problem. Yes. That's when it's a problem. That's a problem. Because yep. now the head of the snake essentially is cut off. And what do I do? And so just to push it, I'm not being derogatory when I say this, but there is a, a I think the way society is moving right now, you have people who are going to lead and then you have people who are naturally going to follow. And so when the followers no longer have an, a leader, that's when there seems to be chaos. So like when people don't have a sense of direction, a sense of purpose, you know, a vision, that's when I start to see there's a breakdown. So when you think about a midlife crisis, the guy finally has it up to here. He says, screw it, I'm done. I want a divorce, I'm walking away from the family, I hate my job, I quit the job, and I wanna just become something else other than what I am. What do you say to someone who is on the brink? He's a married man. He's on the brink of having that particular experience. Yeah, I see that. I see that a lot where people come in and they might not be that aware. Most people aren't that aware. <laughs> okay. I wish, they were, I wish they were more aware like that, Renard. But most people are more like, they're kind of like skirting around it. And I look them in the eyes and I say, listen, let me tell you about this part of you. This part is has no sense of morality. It doesn't give a fuck about anybody but itself. It will burn your fucking house down. It don't give a shit. It wants what it wants for your own glory. And this motherfucker has been neglected because you, my friend, have not been paying attention to it for like 10 to 15 years because you've been so damn externally located. So you got a couple choices right now. You can A, keep on ignoring this motherfucker and it, it, it will it will get its vengeance on you. <laughs> it will it'll get you. Hell hath no fury than a than a part of you exile. It it it'll it'll destroy you. It'll make you do something that you you'll fucking regret. You can do that. That's what most people do. Or we can begin to take a look at it and begin to proactively instead of reactively let the motherfucker out of the cage. And we can begin to slowly infiltrate and bring this core life energy, this part of you into your life in a way that doesn't destroy you. That's essentially what I'm doing. Nice. But you gotta fucking know what you're dealing with. You, you, you gotta know this instinctual part of you. And that, that's why most people are in jail. That's why people do stupid shit. That's why there's shows like Dateline. It's, it's exposing people who have suppressed this dark part until it becomes a monster and does bad shit. So, we can either avoid it or we can embrace it. But the cool thing is, is this part of you is the angel of life and death. It will kill you, but it will give you life. And so I would say to people, if you want to be alive, you need to fucking find this guy and you need to bring him into your life. But to, and, and actually, as you bring him in, you're, you're willing to say things and do things that previously you're too afraid to do. You're like, I can't risk that. I want, somebody might get mad at me. I might lose some friends. I might, I might disappoint somebody. And you, you got to have that part of you in control like a dog on a leash so you can let it out but control it that's what i do nice and that's 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 the most important thing we can do but people don't talk this honestly people are like oh well you're a traumatized child no you're a higher primate you're a higher primate who's been traumatized you gotta know what you're dealing with
We're not these little snowflakes who just say, ah, oh, we're just the little babies who need attachment. Yes, that's true, but at its most base level, we are primates. We have a dark side that if you do not bring in, it will destroy you and your family. So that's, that's what I do, man. Help people not destroy themselves. Help people not just not destroy themselves, but, but to actually take all this passion you feel, all this passion I feel, is that guy, and he's on a hunt to change the world. Because I'm going to change the world. I fucking know it. Just like you're going to change the world. That's what we're here to do. That's the mission. To bring life, not death. Absolutely. So, you know, what sets your approach apart from the uh, traditional therapy? Like you have these folks who do traditional therapy. Then you have this huge surge of life coaches. Everyone's a life coach now. How do you stand out amongst the traditional therapists? You know, I think we've, we've talked a good bit about therapy. I think let's talk about coaching. I'm, I'm not a coach. So I, I can't speak to every single coaching method. I have worked with some coaches. I've studied it to some, some extent, but I've seen some stuff in corporate. But I'll just tell you what I do, what, what I would do, because I am moving into working with groups. So I have this thorough belief that if, let's just say, let's just take a leadership team. Let's say I'm working with a leadership team, which, which will then affect the culture of a company. Let's just say that everybody in that leadership team takes complete control over their own growth pattern and says, this is the thing that I need to do so that I can become more whole across those four domains and those four archetypes. And everybody makes 10 to 50% shifts in each of those domains. And that that's their, that's their single focus. Like they're not focused on strategy sessions. They're not focused on like brainstorming. They're not focused on all the shit that people get distracted with. They're focused on becoming more whole, become more you, become more balanced. Fixate on that. That's your strategy. Imagine if everybody did that. Then I believe when people do get together, then there's going to be solutions that will be reached because people are actually hearing each other. They're actually understanding each other. They're actually able to do their role so there isn't that 80-20 rule where you got 80% of doing 20% of the work, yet everybody pulling their weight, then the organization's going to be far more efficient and far more effective. So what I would do if I was working in the group is I, I would just have everybody do that and then trust that once everybody does that, and then they're going to be able to, to find the solutions because they've got more brain capacity. That's nice. And so is this does this align with your concept of making a 10 to 20 percent shift for massive outcome change yes and just if you wouldn't mind indulging a little bit can you just explain how that personal growth assessment empowers people into more of a transformation so you know based off of that 10 to 20 percent shift yeah you know if we for let's just take somebody let's take let's say let's say somebody is more externally located in their decision making right they're more self-sacrificial they're more cognitive in their solution making and they're, they're more prone to just finding past or future solutions, which is kind of the profile of what a lot of times I work with. Okay. If we can get someone to begin, just to begin to move, like begin to practice behaviors, habits, thought patterns, where they become a little more internalized, where they begin to have a voice more. They begin to say, hey, what, what do I think and feel? Express it. Say, hey, what about my own independence and freedom and significance? And then begin to use creativity and present moment awareness as their guide for make problem, making problems. And, and, and you got a 10, 50% across all those barriers. So we're, we're not looking for people to make massive, massive shifts. Right. We're looking for subtle shifts. Well, that, that will compound into a true transition of, of power. And then the secret is, as you begin to do that, and then you begin to bear the, you begin to taste the, 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 the beautiful fruit of that choice. And then you want more. You're hungry, like a hungry. I want more of that. And right. then it creates this whole pendulum swing where now the other side that was initially scary is, is delightful. You want more. And then you, you build momentum in that direction. So you're moving from an external seeking, seeking, seeking yes. to more of an internal. Yes. Like I'm self-fulfilled. Yes. Okay. I'm, again, I'm doing everything because I'm choosing to do it is the is the crux of what so if someone's working at a job and they're let's say they're doing a job they don't like and right then for them to to say hey i'm doing this job well for myself because 
It makes me feel good to do it because I want the money and I, and I want to do a good job so I can get to a better job in the future. Right. Versus, oh, I got to do this crap because I'm supposed to do it because the boss will get me. That's a very different mindset. So if we can get someone more internalized where they begin to own, okay, yeah, I'm here. I'm present. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to do this for me. I'm going to do this stuff I don't want to do for me because I want to do it because I want to get this job done quick. I want to do well so I can get on to the next thing. Right. And so, yeah, so we're, we're moving people to that, to utter responsibility and ownership where they're not dependent or, or victims. Just about to say. Or victims. What about that victim mentality? Do it's you... purely externalized. I mean, if, you, if your focus is externally, you are, you're, you're going to become a victim. You can't help it. I mean, think about it logically. Victims are victimized from external forces. Heroes will face the enemy, face the temptation, and they will not succumb to it. Right. They will be. They will reign victorious because they they find a way somehow. Right. So, how would you put together like a step one, step two, step three approach for people who are dealing with a midlife crisis or they about to enter a midlife crisis or they are in a midlife crisis? You know, a lot of times it starts with typical mental health symptoms, anxiety, depression. I mean, mo most people who go to therapy are in, are in some sort of life transition crisis. And unfortunately, a lot of times people think of it as, you know, either past related or trauma related or, and again, I'm not saying there aren't past related quotients to it. Of course there are. I mean, we, we are, we are deeply affected by our past, but They'll, they'll, they'll put all the, the f foundation, the focus on that. And so I, I, want, I want people to begin the process of going, okay, like, all right, like this, what do, begin to ask, like, what do they want versus just focusing on why don't I have what I want, which is, you know, and then begin the process of, of noticing. And so a lot of what I do in the beginning is I want you to become, begin to become very astute observer of yourself. So the initial, the, the initial people see me for usually 10, 10 hours. I don't do long-term therapy typically, you know? And so when they come see me, I give them homework and a lot of it's self-observation. I need you to, to observe yourself. I need you to observe and talk to yourself, begin to go, huh? Begin to become curious, go, gosh, why did I just lie? Huh? Look at that. I just did that. And to begin to, to almost like a like document go, gosh, and begin to try to piece out like an investigator, like, why do, where's this coming from? And if, if we disobserve ourselves, become curious, become aware, that's, that's probably 30% of it. Okay. So you got the assessment. So we, you do it like a self-assessment. Mm -hmm. Be aware of why. Mm -hmm. What's number two? Then you begin the process of saying, okay. These are clearly the things that I need to work on. Now, what do I do? What do I need to let go of? It could be a story. It could be an emotion. But you need to actively begin the process of, of, of not focusing on, of letting go of visually and mentally. You know, and that, that's, part, that's part of what I do in therapy as well. And sometimes I do outsource. And I mean, actually, oftentimes, if someone have, if people have unresolved trauma, I will send them to an EMDR therapist to, to resolve that. And, and that, that's a good thing to do. But after the trauma is done, you need to move on from it. You need to, you know, you need to get in and get out, you know, so, so to speak. So you, you do that. And then after that, you begin the process of saying, what are the behaviors and functions and mindsets? You kind of create a, a composite character of who you got to become to change. And then you begin, to, you begin to do the behavior like that. A lot like a method actor would do if he was trying to become a character. He would study and become that person. But a lot of it's behavioral. It's action-oriented. It's not trying to find a reason. You're actually doing behaviors differently. Behaviorism is like the stepchild of psychology. It's really been relegated to academia. You know, therapists aren't trained in behaviorism. We're trained in cognitive behaviorism, but not like raw, like just do this, do it for its own sake. Now, what you do in your work is very behavioristic, but I think that we got to go more behavioral. We got to go more like stop thinking, keep doing. Right. Stop the thinking. Stop it. You know, like saying, stop it. Stop, stop mind. We're not fucking doing it. Doing this. So keeping, keeping things very simple, keeping your self-talk to like five words, talk like you would to a dog, like stop, stop this, do this. Okay. We're not doing that. We're doing that. Like, like that. Like, so you, you gotta, you gotta get into a different region of the psyche. Right. You can't do that. You can't just sit around and bellyache and keep going back to what happened over and over for years if you want to make changes. 
So, no, I appreciate you saying that. And as we start to wrap things up, I just want to do a quick summary of the one, two, three steps so far. So the first thing is doing a self-assessment. Second step is the removal stage. I'm just kind of paraphrasing this right here, the removal stage. And then if someone is dealing with trauma, they may consider seeking the assistance of an EMDR therapist. Mm -hmm. Real quick, what does an EMDR therapist do? You know, what they do is they, they help you resolve trauma by bilateral stimulation of the right and left hemisphere. And so I'm not trained in it, but I know a little bit about it. And it seems to be effective for people who have who have you know, memories that, that they can't get out. They can't get out of the stuck place. Understood. So and I, and I would say that. And again, I want to make clear, I'm by no means disparaging traditional therapy. I'm just saying I don't want to do it. Like, I'm just saying what I do is different. But I think it's very important. I think that a lot of people need it. And I think, and heck, I mean, I, I've done a lot of it. I just think that at a certain point, if you've been doing it for a long period of time and you're not getting results, it might be good to, to assess if you might need to try a different approach. And I would say the same thing with coaching or personal growth programs. If you keep doing the next program that the guru puts out and you're not really making real substantial changes, you best look for a different approach. Understood. So we have assessment, then we have the removal stage. And then you mentioned like almost like a renovation and like a rebuild, like, all right. Yes. A re a rebuild's a great. And so it's a behavioral focused rebuild where you, you become focused, fixated on beginning to cultivate using your imagination and begin to become that, which is in the shadows of your potential. Right. And you focus on that only. And you put aside the behaviors and thoughts that, Maybe you're you're overdoing in your life. Now, as we wrap up this enlightening episode of Rolling Real with Renard, we've explored a world of personal growth, your mental and emotional well-being, and of course, a remarkable journey of Bill. He's the visionary behind the Wilder Wellness Center. Bill's mission of midlife identity realignment, (laughs) that's kind of like the term that I put in there because what he's doing is essentially looking at folks who are between the ages of 30 to 55, who may have lost their sense of balance. Like, you know, how do we guide them back to where they need to be? And so Bill's unique approach, it's personalization, it's practical about what the future holds for mental health, knowing that you're going to be a pioneer in this space. If people wanted to get in contact with you, how would they do it? Yeah, they can go to wilderwellnesscenter.com and they can, they can my email's on there, they can get, send me an email. Okay. And yeah, and I offer individual therapy. I offer intensives for people if they want to come in, if they're out of town. I do offer one and two day intensives where people can come in and do an intensive experience with me. In the future, I'll be offering some, some work with groups and corporations. And, with, and also, I'm going to be putting out an assessment system, which is going to change the game. It'll be the most comprehensive assessment ever created. Mr. Wilder, I appreciate the time. Thank you for rolling real with Renard. You guys take care. Have a great day. Thanks for her.